0: Hey, can you guys believe it? Christmas is almost here. We're only a few weeks away from this thing. I'm very excited. Hope you guys are too. Welcome to South Valley. My name's Ricky Hemi. Thanks for joining us in person. Thanks for joining us online. Did you guys have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, you guys Filling up on some turkey sandwiches this week. I I sure hope you are. That's like the best part of Thanksgiving. Uh, So I'm excited to be kicking off our Advent series. Our series this year is titled Emmanuel, which means God with us. And if you're new, the word Advent, just so you know, it simply means coming or arrival. Advent, it's this wonderful time of year where we bring our attention and our reverence to the birth of Jesus and the true meaning of the Christmas season. It's a time where Christians from around the globe slow down and reflect on the peace and the joy and the love and the hope that Jesus Christ came down to secure for us. And the reason I love Advent is because this season, although it is fun, although it is exciting, it is also a bit hectic. Do you guys agree? And so one of the things that we can do to prepare ourselves and to live in the moment and to focus on the things that really matter is do this thing called Advent. We're weekly, we're preparing ourselves, we're reflecting on what Jesus came to secure for us. And so that's what we're going to be doing through this series. I'm going to pray for us and we'll jump into today's topic. Will you guys join me in prayer? Father God, I just want to say thank you for Advent. I want to say thank you for sending your son in a manger humbly, he, he, he came for us to live the life we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserve to die. He rose from the grave accomplishing our salvation. He ascended to heaven. He's now seated at your right hand and one day he will return again in power and in glory. Jesus, you are God with us. I pray today and through the weeks to come that we would kind of remove some of the lacquer off of the Christmas story and see it again with fresh eyes that we would honor you in this time, that we'd see you in, in, in the right ways, that we'd give you our all, that we'd give you our best and that you'd speak through us each and every week. We love you and we praise you. And I just wanna say thank you again for the Robinson family for leading us today in Advent. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. So throughout this series, we're going to be using the book of Hebrews. If you guys have your Bibles, you go ahead and turn there. If you use an app, we're going to use Hebrews to piece together a portrait of Jesus. So every week, this is the book we will be in. And I chose this book because you'd be hard-pressed to find a greater Christology in all of Scripture than the one presented in this tiny little letter to the Hebrews. Now, Christology is one of those words that we don't use very often, but it's our theology of Jesus, our view of Jesus, the doctrine about Jesus, Hebrews is written to call attention to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Jesus is greater than everything and everyone who has come before him. And in, in Hebrews, what we're seeing is there's a commentary on the Old Testament and every system and every person is a picture of someone greater to come. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than the priests of, of the Aaronic priesthood and Melchizedek. Jesus is greater than the Old Covenant institution and the sacrificial system. And this reality is meant to help God's people, help the church, persevere and keep growing no matter what comes their way. When you have a high view of God, when God is big, our problems are small. Can I get an amen? When God is huge, everything else seems like, oh my gosh, I could totally manage this. Everything we'll read in the book of Hebrews, everything has already been placed under Jesus's feet. And so although at times we feel we are in over our head, we need to remember it is still under Jesus's feet. Nothing is too big for him. He's greater than everything that came before him. And the reason this is important is because what was happening in the book of Hebrews is is the author was writing. We don't know if this is a letter or a sermon or maybe it's a little bit of both. But the author was writing to a church, to a group of people who had grown complacent in their walk with God. Some of them, he describes them as still feeding on milk, although they should have been eating solid food, and they should have been teachers by now. Maybe that describes some of us in this room. We've known Jesus for a long time, but, for, but we still only know the elemental entry-level things of Christianity. We're still just feeding on milk. We're not actually eating solid food. We should be teachers by now, but we're still relying on everybody else to give us the meat and to give us the potatoes of the faith. That's what was happening in this, this book. There were Christians who had grown complacent. There were also Christians who had lost their passion. Christians who started out strong, they loved Jesus early on, they met him, they were impacted by him, and then they start walking with him, and year after year, decade after decade, their passion starts to go away, and now there's no longer a fire, there's just a, just a tiny little dim flame that barely even glows. Maybe that describes you today. There were also Christians in this book who were no longer gathering with the saints like you and I are doing here today. This is where we get that famous passage in Hebrews 10. He says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This was a church of people in crisis. They were adopting strange teachings about Jesus They were giving up because of persecution. Persecution, life had gotten hard. Challenges had come their way. Their passion had begun to fade. And so, the way this pastor, this leader, whoever wrote—so I don't know—we don't know who who wrote Hebrews, by the way. Some would say Paul wrote Hebrews. Others say a guy named Apollos, if you remember him from the book Acts. Maybe he wrote Hebrews. Uh, some would say uh, Priscilla or Aquila wrote Hebrews. Like there's there's all these different debates over who wrote Hebrews. I don't really know. I'm not going to say with confidence who it is. But what we do know is that the author of this book was encouraging people to be alive again for Jesus, to no longer be complacent in their walk with Christ, to be on fire, to have a passion. And the only way to do that was to once again grasp a high view of Jesus as King. Christmas time is a time for us to grasp a high view of Jesus as King. It's a great time of year for us for us to ask the question, who even is Jesus? Was Jesus a man? Was Jesus a prophet? Was Jesus a good teacher? Was he a miracle worker? Was he a priest? Was he a king? Was he God? The answer in the book of Hebrews is yes. <laughs> He's all of those things and more. He's our prophet, he's our priest, he's our king, he's our savior, he is man, he is the God man, he is Lord of all, Jesus is supreme above angels, above prophets, above Moses, above everyone who has ever come before him and will come after him, Jesus reigns supreme. That's the message of Hebrews. And I feel like it's a relevant message because I think that we live in a time where we have lacquered up the Christmas story so much that we don't even really have good answers as to who Jesus even was and is today. So what I wanna do over the next few weeks is I wanna give us Christology, a high view once again of Jesus Christ. So this is what it says. Hebrews 1, starting in verse one, we're gonna look at four verses today. This is what he says. Long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he inherited is much more excellent than theirs." Now, scholars call Hebrews the most challenging book in the New Testament. And this is probably fitting because we just studied the most challenging book in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel. Now, for Christmas, we're going to look at the most challenging book in the New Testament. And you can see why this is such a challenging book. Because right on the onset here, the author comes out swinging. You see, the, the book of Hebrew begins as dramatically as a rocket shot to the moon. In this introductory paragraph, Jesus is portrayed as the supreme prophet, the owner of all things, and the exact imprint of God's being. And so when Joseph and Mary and the shepherds and the angels looked upon baby Jesus in a manger in Bethlehem on that fateful night, the very first Christmas, What they saw was not just a baby, not just a child. They saw in that moment the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Prophet of all Prophets, Priests of all Priests. They saw somebody worth worshiping and praising forever. That's why shepherds gathered, angels singed, and wise men traveled because Jesus is supreme. So I'm gonna give you three portraits of Christ out of these opening verses in Hebrews. Three portraits. The first... Is that Jesus is the supreme prophet. He's the supreme prophet. Now, prophets in the Old Testament were God's ancient spokesmen. In Jewish thought, becoming a prophet was the highest calling a person could accept. Okay, think about the prophets of old. Moses was a prophet. Elijah was a prophet. Daniel was a prophet. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, the list goes on. Most Old Testament books were penned by who? Prophets. Prophets served as the mouthpiece of God. That's why he starts off this way in Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. In the Old Testament, God spoke at many times, Hebrews says. Many times, meaning he spoke many times over a period of 1,500 years by more than 40 authors, 40 writers. And as beautiful and important as, and authoritative as the Old Testament is, what we know about the Old Testament is that it's actually fragmentary. Okay, God revealed a little bit here and then he revealed a little bit there we call this progressive revelation he reveals a little bit of truth in genesis and a little more in exodus and a little more in deuteronomy and a little more through isaiah and a little more through daniel and a little more through malachi okay it's it's progressive it's fragmentary it's 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 chunks that build truth building on top of truth truth on top of truth genesis from Exodus all the way to the end, to Malachi. In the Old Testament, as beautiful and absolutely authoritative as it is, it's fragmentary and incomplete because it always pointed forward to a greater fulfillment, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We also know that God spoke in many ways in the Old Testament. He didn't just speak at many times, he spoke in many ways. That means he spoke through prophets. He spoke through a burning bush. He spoke through a still, small voice. He spoke through handwriting on a wall. He spoke through handwriting on tablets. He spoke through visions. He spoke through angels. Many ways also includes many literary ways. Some of the Old Testament is narrative. Narrative. Some of it's prophecy, some of it's poetry, some of it's law, some of it's doctrine. But it is all God speaking. That's what we know about the Old Testament. Well, in these last days, in the final epoch of God's story, do you know how he has spoken to us? He has spoken to us through who? His Son. You and I live on a privileged side of history, we live on a privileged side of redemptive history because God has spoken in this time, a grand finale. He has spoken in grand finale through Jesus Christ, his son. And I just want to tell you this, no one knows the father like the son. As amazing as Moses was, he doesn't know God like Jesus knows God, knows the father, as amazing as anybody in the New Old Testament, Esther or, or Ruth or whoever, none of them knew the father like the son knows the father. Okay, so my, my dad's a, a small business owner. And if you ask you know, his employees about him, they'll give you one picture of him. If you ask me about him, I'll give you another picture about him because I see the real him. I know who he really is. The son really knows the father. Not that the prophets didn't, but the son knows the father Perfectly, and in these last days, this final epoch of history, God has come down to us to speak to us not through the prophets, but through his one and only Son. We stand on a very privileged side of redemptive history. Did you know that? God loves us so much that he came down to speak to us, to deliver a message to us, and here's what's crazy. Prophets in the Old Testament were messengers of God, but Jesus isn't just a messenger of God, Jesus is the message of God. Jesus is what the prophets were predicting and pointing forward to for all this time. Jesus isn't just a word about God, Jesus is the word of God. That's why John says in John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was what? The word was God. We're talking about Jesus here. Jesus is superior in every single way, superior to everything that has come before him. He is God's final word. And that's why we make a big deal out of Jesus. He is the supreme prophet. And this is important to point out because I think that Christmas has sort of domesticated Jesus. I saw a funny uh, video on TikTok. Any of you guys like to watch TikTok videos? Or if, you're, or if you're older, you like to watch, you know, TikTok videos replayed two weeks later on Instagram. Um, some of you know what I'm talking about. So my kids like watching TikTok videos every now and then. I, we came across this really funny video about, uh, about wiener dogs. Any of you own a wiener dog? Okay, I don't own a wiener dog, but I own a Shih Tzu. Might as well be the same thing, um, except way cuter. Uh, Wiener dogs, I don't know if you know this. A century ago, wiener dogs were bred to be hunting dogs. They were hunting dogs. Okay, these little guys were bred to track the scent of, of foxes and badgers and rabbits to trace, trace them, uh, trace them, ch- chase them down. Force them into holes, and then when the hunter would come, they'd force them out of these tiny little dens, and you'd get your you'd get your kills for the day. Okay, that's what that's what wiener dogs were made to do. They're actually called uh, dotchuns, dochsuns. Oh, yeah, some of you know better than me. Uh, that means badger dog. Okay, they're they're called badger dogs. When I think of wiener dogs, I think of these cute little canines with sausage legs that are literally can do nothing. They were little warriors. (laughs) They were little hunter dogs. Now, when I see wiener dogs, they're usually plump, dressed in a sweater, and cuddled in somebody's bed. (laughs) That's what's happened to most of our dogs, in fact. In fact, actually, so I told you I have a shih tzu. I highly doubt shih tzus were bred for anything except for sitting on laps, because that's all he knows how to do. If I left my shih tzu out in the cold for one day, you could surround him with a bunch of helpless bunnies. He would still never get a meal, I guarantee you right now. At least cats know how to you know, get their prey. My dog, no way. Some of you guys hunt though, so you got hunting dogs, you, you, you know how to, you know how to uh, you know, train your dogs. Well, a properly trained wiener dog is actually a little hunting hound, and that just blew my mind because I don't see hunters, I see plump little sausages. Now, I love Christmas, but I despise the ways that we've allowed Christmas to make Jesus so small in our minds. Christmas has sort of domesticated the Jesus story. The Jesus story is now just something we tell to get little, you know, fuzzy, warm feelings when it gets cold outside, and we can put lights up and drink our hot coffee and kind of just feel good about ourselves. It's a, it's a way of just kind of conjuring up good vibes and, and a good aura and good energy in our home, and, and we never talk, and so many people on our, in our country and around the globe, they don't talk about Jesus any day of the year, any month of the year, except for during Christmas, and they only mention him here or there when they're singing a Christmas story about our Christmas song that has a high Christology of Jesus, by the way. If you want good Christology, listen to some Christmas music. There are some high views of Jesus in our Christmas music, but there are very low views of Jesus in our hearts. What about you? Is Jesus a good vibe during the holidays? Or is Jesus the supreme prophet in your life? The word of God in your life? the supreme authority in your life. God took on flesh, God dwelt among us, Emmanuel. That is the mind-blowing message of Christmas, not just the fact that a baby was born in a manger in Bethlehem, 2,000 years ago, and angels were singing and shepherds were visiting and wise men were traveling. That's a really cool story. But what's really cool is the Old Testament prepared the way because every system prior to Jesus was a system that was never fully capable of saving people. The sacrificial system couldn't do it. The prophets couldn't do it. Only God can do it, and God has done it through the work of his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the supreme prophet. But he's also, number two, the owner of all things. He says, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He's spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. You see, the son's superior greatness to the prophets springs from his position as both creator and heir of all things. The prophets were God's spokesmen. But Jesus is the eternal Son who creates and therefore owns all things. Everything that exists belongs to Jesus. Everything that exists will eventually come under the control of Jesus the Messiah. There are things that fill over our head, but at the end of the day, they will be under His feet. A few weeks ago, Pastor Seth preached on Jesus as Lord, and he posed an important question He said, Lord of what? Lord of my Sundays, Lord of my morality, Lord of my relationships? What was Seth's answer to this? Lord of all. Abraham Kuyper, a famous theologian, he says, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is Lord of all, does not exclaim mine. Paul says this in Colossians, he's the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. This past week, I was in Boise, Idaho, visiting my mom and my brother and my stepdad, my, my uh, nieces and we were all visiting for Thanksgiving. It was, a, it was a beautiful time. We had lots of fun. Got to do some sledding, got to do some bike riding up in the hills. It was, it was just a really great time. And if you know anything about Idaho, then you would know that, that Idaho is kind of a hub for the Mormon church. You guys know that? There's, there's, there's Utah and then there's Idaho and then I don't know what state is next, but the Utah and Idaho are kind of the two hubs for the Mormon church. And, and Mormonism, So if you're in Idaho or you're in Utah, you'll see see Mormon temples everywhere. And oftentimes they're beautiful, magnificent, enormous temples. And and Mormonism is, is, is really just the result of two major errors. Two errors that the author of Hebrews actually combats in this work. The first major error is the acceptance of another prophet And who did the Mormons accept as a new prophet? This is after Jesus. They accepted another prophet, even though Jesus is God's final say, God's final word to us. Who was this prophet they accepted later on? You guys know his name? Joseph Smith. They accepted another prophet. And this prophet introduced new scriptures and new teachings. Another way that they got it wrong is by botching the identity of Jesus. Jesus. Mormons believe that Jesus Christ was the firstborn spirit child of the heavenly father and a heavenly mother. Jesus is not the eternal son of God, but a created being who became God, just as you and I can become God. Mormons are polytheistic. They believe in many gods, and we can become one of those gods. Jesus was a created being who became a God. These are their fatal flaws. They accept a prophet who's really no prophet at all. Where Revelation says, don't add to this book, they add to the book. (laughs) And then the prophet gives a new picture of Jesus that is not an accurate picture at all of Jesus. And I just, I'm pointing this out because this is relevant because that is how every deceptive religion begins. There's a false prophet and there's a botched view of Jesus. You could go down the list, starting with Islam. Muhammad is the supreme prophet and author of a new religious text called the Quran. Jesus is just a prophet. So Jesus is talked about in the Quran. Abraham and the stories of some of the Old Testament stories are talked about in the Quran, but Muhammad is superior, Muhammad is supreme, and Jesus is lesser than Muhammad. You got Mormonism. Joseph Smith is a new prophet. Jesus is the half-brother of lucifer you got judaism jews don't add to scripture but they reject jesus as messiah you got jehovah's witnesses jesus is an archangel named michael you have buddhism where jesus is not god but an enlightened man you have hinduism where jesus is one of many incarnations of god you have scientology my personal favorite here jesus is an implant forced upon a thetan about a million years ago whatever that means um the list goes on and on and on and on. And in fact, I guarantee that if sometime over the last few months, you've either ran into somebody in a parking lot at, at a grocery store or maybe on your campus or they've come to your door and they've knocked on your door and they've wanted to share with you about the story of God the mother. I'm pointing this out because false teaching comes in these two ways. You accept a prophet who is really no prophet of all, at all, or you botch a Christology of Jesus that is accurate. You don't have a right view of Jesus. You create your own Jesus after your own image, after your own ideas, and there you create, when you do that, you create a false religion. That's why a high view of Jesus is so important. That's why books like Hebrews are so important. That's why it's important for us when we gather on Sundays, we actually open our Bibles and we look at the text together because I'm not here to give you my opinion. I'm not here to tell you what I think about things. I just wanna show you what does God say? What does God's word say? Who does Jesus say that he is? Who does God say Jesus is? I want to worship the right Jesus, not a Jesus that is a figment of my imagination. And so Hebrews point, paints a robust and compelling picture of the real Jesus. He's not just a prophet, he's the prophet. He's not just a priest, one of many priests who will come later, he is the priest. He's not just a created being. In fact, he's no created being at all. He is creator God, he is the eternal son. He was not made, he is the maker of all things. And he's not Lord of just our Sundays. He's Lord of all. He's not just king over Israel or king over a portion of our lives. He is king of Ki- the king of kings, Lord of all. Everything belongs to him. He is on the throne. He atoned for sins. He's seated at the right hand of God. And now we all owe allegiance to Jesus Christ, the king. Yes, the manger scene was a beautiful scene, but Jesus is no longer in a manger. Jesus is seated on a throne. Finally, number three, Jesus is the exact imprint of God's being. You see, Hebrews, he's writing here. He's holding no punches. He's like, guys, you've been talking about Jesus for a long time now, and yet you still can't answer the question, who is Jesus? You've been coming to church for a long time now, yet you're still drinking milk and not eating solid food. You've been doing this Christianity thing for a long time now, yet you're not teaching anybody how to do it. You're not teaching, men, you're not teaching any men. Women, you're not teaching any other young women. You're not teaching any kid. You're just kind of doing your, this is what was happening. This is what he's writing about. This is what he's trying to combat in his church. There were people who should have known, who should have been deep, who should have been theologians at this point, capable of teaching others, but they were still drinking milk. So he goes on to paint an even better picture of Jesus. And this is just the first four verses. He says he's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power, just his word. After making... Purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having becoming much superior to angels as his name he's inherited is more excellent than theirs. The word angel means messenger. So angels were messengers of God. The the name Jesus means savior or God saves. Jesus is superior because he's not just a messenger. He is the savior. He radiates the glory of God. To radiate something is to reflect it. I was reading a commentary by a British guy this week and he used the language, a chip off the old block. You guys ever use that language? That's Jesus, except he pointed out that there will be no other chips off of this block. There's only one chip off the block and that's Jesus Christ. He said, the Son is the shining reflection of God's own glory. He is the precise expression of God's own very being. Jesus radiates the glory of the Father. Another fascinating word found in the text is the word imprint. This Greek term imprint is the word is 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 character. That's that's what the word is in Greek. Character. It's where we get our English word character. The word character was used by ancient Greeks to describe the process of making coins. Okay, coins usually reflected the image of the person in power. Their character was pressed into the metal. Another way they used this word was when describing a king's seal. A king would have a signet ring with his image on it, and he would use his signet ring and press his image into soft wax, and his character would be left behind in the wax. Well, the sun reproduces the precise character of the father that's why Jesus can say anyone who has seen me has seen who the father if you don't want to if you want to know what Jesus looks like if you want to know or what God is like you look at Jesus no more there's no more powerful expression of the deity of Jesus than, than what we see here in these opening verses of Hebrews is Jesus Jesus is the character, the, the radiating reflection, the imprint of God's very being, the Father's very nature. And just a side note here, as I was wrestling through this, what I was thinking too is, is Jesus's character pressed on us. You see, we're called also to radiate something. We're called also to reflect someone. We are called to reflect our Savior. And here's the thing. If Jesus' signet ring and character is going to be pressed into our lives. What needs to happen to the wax of our hearts first? It needs to be softened. You see, some of us in this room struggle to reflect Christ or never have reflected Christ because our hearts are hard. We're proud, we're stuck in our ways. We're unwilling to change, we're unwilling to grow, we're unwilling to repent. That might be what was happening with the Hebrews. Maybe they were complacent because they just weren't willing to change. They weren't willing to grow. They were not soft. They could not hear God's word because they, were, they couldn't receive it because their hearts were hard. Sometimes in order to receive God's blessing, in order to receive God's truth, we have to be softened. And sometimes we're only softened by hard things. Sometimes we're only softened by the fire. Some of you right now are in a furnace. Your life has been like a fire. Your life has not been easy. And now Christmas is coming and you're like, oh my gosh, this is supposed to be the happiest time of the year and I feel miserable. I don't wanna sing the songs. I don't wanna do the lights. I don't even wanna eat the cookies. I don't wanna be around the people. I just don't want any of this stuff. I hate it. It's a reminder of things that I lost, things that I miss. I have gone through the fire and I don't wanna do this here today. And maybe God is saying to you, look it, I am softening you and shaping you and molding you and, and putting the flame on your life. And I know it's tough and I know it's hard and it feels like you, everything is being lost and none of this matters and, and you're in a bad spot. But if you just receive me, if you just trust me, if you let me press into your life, you will reflect me in ways you never even knew you could. So keep believing, even when it's hard. That's what the Hebrews were reminded to do. Keep believing even when it's hard. We read that he upholds the universe by the word of his power, the passage says. As God, he, he holds all things together. He spoke all things into existence and he also sustains his creation and consummates his purpose by his word. Now, I, I came across something interesting this week. So I'm no scientist, but I came across something about atoms. And atoms, as you know, are the smallest particles in the universe and the basic, basic units of matter. Okay. Scientists, though, are baffled by what holds atoms together. Okay. These, they're these tiny little units, they're the building block of, of matter, but what is it that is holding these atoms together? And because there's no answer to that question, scientists simply call it the strong force. The strong force is this thing that we don't know about, that we can't study, that we're just kind of theorizing on that binds fundamental particles of matter known as quarks to form larger particles known as atoms. But if this strong force failed, all of creation would come unhinged and the world and everything would obliterate into pure chaos. What does the author say? He upholds the universe By the word of his power, he holds it all together. Here's a picture for you. If Jesus decided to stop holding it together, it would be gone. The universe, everything, could be unraveled in a moment. The moment this, what scientists call strong force, If it stopped working, the universe would be no more. We don't know what it is, but if it stopped working, it'd be gone. Well, let me just tell you this. If Jesus stopped working, if Jesus stopped sustaining, if Jesus stopped holding all things together, we would be no more. There would be nothing, there would be chaos, there would be, just as in the beginning, God created out of nothing, there would be, once again, nothing, nothing would be, because God holds all things together. When we worship Jesus, we're not talking about just a baby in a manger born in Bethlehem. Christmas morning surrounded by angels and shepherds. We're talking about the one who holds it all together, the one who sustains the world, who sustains life, the one who came and, and died on a cross for our sins, who loves us. And even in this vast universe. He loves these tiny little specks so much called humans that he would come, he would take on flesh, he would live a life of poverty, he would come in and be, be persecuted and mocked and nailed to a cross so that we could be, be forgiven to substitute himself for our sins and then rise from the grave and sit down at the right hand of the Father overseeing everything in creation. God loves us so much that he came to do that for us. The message of Hebrews is Jesus is greater. He's greater. Things in your life may feel over your head at the moment, but they're under Jesus' feet. Don't domesticate Jesus this Christmas. Jesus is not a baby we talk about to conjure up warm and fuzzy feelings. He's the supreme prophet. He's the owner of all things. He's the exact imprint of God's being. He's the one who holds it all together. That is the Jesus we celebrate at Advent. I wanna give you three ways to apply today's message. First is remember that if Jesus sustains the universe, surely he can sustain you. If Jesus can hold the universe together, Surely, He can help you hold it together. He can hold you together. He can sustain you. If Jesus sustains it all, He can sustain you. Your problems, your fears, your struggles are not too big for Jesus. He's got it all under control. That means He even has the little things in your life that you feel are enormous. They are tiny in comparison to Jesus. He sustains it all. He will sustain you. Do you believe it? Do you trust it? Will you believe in Him even when it's hard? It may feel over your head, but it is under his feet, he is in control, he will sustain you. I don't know what you're going through, he'll sustain you. I don't know how hard it feels, he'll sustain you. I don't know how big it seems, he will get you through it, he will sustain you. Number two, avoid being complacent in your walk with Christ. Hebrews is a reminder that if we're not moving forward, we're sliding backwards. Hebrews is a reminder that if we're not looking back year after year and seeing growth and maturity and and knowledge and and love and all of those fruits of the Spirit growing in our life, then we're actually becoming, we're not getting better, we're actually getting worse because Jesus, he's inviting us into something great. But so many of us become complacent. We neglect what, what really matters. We neglect maybe worship. We neglect meeting with others. We neglect time in the word. We start to neglect what matters and we grow complacent. We plateau, we slide back, One way you could do that is by engaging in the series. Another way you can do that is by inviting friends to our candlelight services. We got flyers on the way in. If you didn't get a flyer, you could grab some on the way out. Take as many flyers as you want, okay? You could you could drop them off around town. As many as you want, we will give you all the flyers you want. We wanna get the word out there because we wanna help people make much of Jesus for our candlelight services on December 18th. We got three services. We wanna see all of our friends there, all of our family members there. We wanna see the whole town show up. We're gonna be doing the um, the Christmas parade again this year just to promote and in Lamore here just to promote our candlelight services. We want to make much of Jesus, but we need you to reach your oikos so that you can see them make much of Jesus. So grab flyers on your way out. Another thing that we're doing is we're writing little devotionals each week for small groups and families. And so if you want to during this season, you wanna make much of Jesus, go on our on Facebook. If you don't follow us on Facebook, like our page or on Instagram or give us your email. If you never went to our Connect Card thing or church app, we'll send this to you every week. We're gonna send out a little devotional that you could do with your family. And so you could do your own Advent lighting at home. You could set out your candles. You could read the passage. You could read the devotional. There'll be a little icebreaker thing there. There'll be some questions there where you can, as a family, start to make the habit of getting Jesus back into your Christmas season, back in the center of everything you do. So check it out. I think it'll be available tonight on Facebook and through email. But if you guys want more, check that out. Make this Christmas about Jesus. We're gonna close right now with a song called Same God. We sang it last week. And I find that this to be a really appropriate song because it's a reminder that the same God of old is the God that we worship today. Hebrews actually says it this way. He, he, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. That's how the author of Hebrews says it. I encourage you right now during this last song, reflect on Jesus reflect on the message of scripture through the ages, preparing the way for him. We have the privilege of looking back. We also have the privilege of looking forward to his return once again in power and glory. He is our prophet, he is our king, he is our priest. So let's worship him, yeah. I'm gonna pray for us and we'll stand in worship. God, I thank you so much for another great morning, studying your word and being with your people. And I just pray God that this Christmas that you would focus our attention on your son. I pray, Father, that we would not be distracted by things that don't matter. I pray that Jesus would reign supreme in our hearts and in our lives. And right now, as we close in in song, I just ask God that our hearts would be bare before you and that we would trust you for whatever it is that we need to believe you for. You are above all things. Things may seem big to us, but they're small for you. You sustain the world and you'll sustain us. Remind us of that this morning. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.